as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot. Uh, and we are joined with a very, very special guest, uh, Caitlin Booth of Bleeding Cool. Hello, thank you for having well, me back again. Of course. Oh, well, of course, we love you. And honestly, who better to have on our episode where we review Wonder Woman? Um, I think it's only right we have a woman on the panel <laughs> to talk yep. about it. Uh, but before we go there, we got to talk about uh, Captain Underpants, which is an animated movie based on, I guess it's like a kid's series. I've never heard of it before until I saw the trailer. Yeah, Captain Underpants, uh, very, very popular among elementary school age kids. This is actually a really cute story. Two best friends, uh, played by Kevin Hart and Thomas Middleditch, they write their own comic book, and their superhero is Captain Underpants. And it is, of course filled with all of the silliest and potty humor, uh, literal jokes about toilets, not so much about bodily functions, but jokes about, like, Uranus and, and things like that. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, so, but, but really kind of cute and uh, lowbrow humor. Uh, they have a very mean principal uh, named Principal Krupp, played by Ed Helms, and he threatens to separate the two of them for their multiple pranks, and so pulling out the hypno ring that they got out of a cereal box, like you do, uh, they hypnotize him and convince him that he is Captain Underpants. Uh, so while all of this is happening, uh, a new science teacher, Professor Poopy Pants, has joined the school, and he is about to unleash mayhem by... Uh, getting rid of everyone's sense of humor so they will no longer laugh at his name. So, uh, of course, the kids and Captain Underpants need to get together to stop him. This is really cute. It's really funny. It's it's great for little kids. Uh, if you have kids who love this source material, it follows it very, very closely, and, and kids will really like it. If I have one complaint, though... You'll notice I didn't mention any female characters uh, or any female roles. Uh, Kristen Shaw shows up for the very briefest of moments in here as a lunch lady who is only there as a love interest for Principal Krupp. That's really not cool. I, I, I don't get why they can't take something like this and uh, make one of the characters a girl, give them a little sister who also helps them write their comic books, because... You know, little girls like potty humor, too, or at least some little girls do. And uh, that is my biggest complaint with the movie. Uh, otherwise, it's it's pretty funny. Uh, I would give this a six and a half out of ten. Uh, certainly better than a lot of kids' movies out there, mostly because it really nails the humor. Uh, but this isn't really the big movie that that everybody wants to go see this because we got Wonder Woman. Uh, we got Wonder Woman, finally, finally. And, and the internet only halfway burned down because of it. <laughs> Please don't remind me. That was a really long weekend. It was. I The fragility of uh, the the male ego is, is truly a spectacle to behold on the internet. Uh, this is a really simple story, though. For people who know the very complicated origins of Wonder Woman, 
kind of all in there. She lives on an island with the Amazons, and they live apart from mankind until one day Steve Trevor shows up and he says, hey, there's a giant war going on. You don't know about this? And uh, Diana, Princess of Themyscira, says, oh, I know who's behind this. Ares, the god of war. Uh, if I go out and get to the front and I confront Ares, I can stop him and I can stop war from overtaking the earth. And of course, things are a lot more complicated than all of that. And so we, we get this movie of, of them going out and kicking all sorts of butt. This is her origin story uh, set against the backdrop of World War One, many, many decades before we saw her in uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Uh, I love this movie. I think it's the best thing that the DC Extended Universe has done. Uh, what did you both think? Well, that's not exactly a high bar to clear, because no. the DCEU <laughs> has been kind of a raging dumpster fire for the last three movies. But uh, I actually really like this, too. I saw it for... I went to the premiere uh, screening for critics on Tuesday, and then I saw it again last night, and uh, it definitely holds up on a second viewing, which is always a good thing. And it's it's basically got a lot of the same problems as a lot of Phase 1 Marvel movies, in that it kind of falls apart at the end. I didn't, I'm not a huge fan of that third act, but uh, the the middle is just so fantastic. The scene where she walks across no man's land is just. Oh my god! Ugh. I yeah. I I I've seen it twice now, and I've nearly cried both times. That scene yeah. is just unbelievable. Yeah, I, I did cry. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm with you. It's uh, we're not gonna get into it, but you've seen it in the trailers. The, the no man's land scene, uh, where she's the only person who gets up and stands up for what's right, and. You know, we were. I was in a decently crowded theater, and it took every ounce of my being not to just stand up and cheer. The moment she runs on that battlefield, it was like, oh, I almost said a bad word. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yes, go, go, go. And, uh, yeah, like the, I, I'm right with you. I, I love the movie to death. I, it does have some third-act problems. Uh, some of the complaints I've heard from uh, some of our peers was that it's about a half hour too long. I, I would disagree, because even though this is a very long movie, about two hours and 20 minutes... The story fills the whole runtime. There's, there really is no moments where it's like, ah, you could have cut this out, you could have done this. It it's felt got, like every piece was important. It's got some pacing issues. Um, I think that might be more uh, structural, though, in that, that that No Man's Land scene is so good that there's kind of a bit of a lull between that and the final battle. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe shifting a few things around would have maybe helped that, but at the same time, you know, it's... I'm not sure how you would fix that one. Well, yeah. what's really funny is we keep on going back to the No Man's Land scene and some reading some articles online, that was a scene that almost got cut from the movie. Uh, yeah. It almost didn't make it, and Patty Jenkins was saying, like, no, this is this is the moment she becomes Wonder Woman. This is why it has to be there. And every single person I've talked to who well, either has seen the movie, liked it, didn't like it, loved it, whatever, always go back to that scene as being the most pivotal moment in the film. So the fact that it almost didn't make it baffles my mind. I mean, well, maybe not because it is Warner Brothers and they don't know what to do with their DC properties, but still. Exactly. Uh, and and that's, that's the point. I actually think that structurally this made a lot of really good choices. They, they got her off of Themyscira in just the right amount of time. We got enough of the backstory to understand everything 
if you've never if if you've never seen Wonder Woman, if you've never read a comic book, you will get everything, and and they lay it out here very well. If you have read everything, there are hints and nods to uh, all of the elements of her, her very complicated backstory, and I think they tie it all up very well. What's so important about the No Man's Land scene is it was not only important for her character development, but it fit tonally and thematically with the film and really made me think a lot about this. Why they set this in World War One was incredibly important. Oh, um, yeah. Because you had this intractable war uh, with mechanized fighting. You had people sitting in trenches uh, not moving very much one way or the other, and yet millions of people being killed over it. And then this woman shows up, and she's able to go out there, and not as much being a offensive weapon, but being a defensive weapon. Yeah. Just using her shield and her uh, and her wristbands to fight off those bullets from the German machine guns. That says so much about this. And uh, I think shifts a lot of the blame back on, uh, on man, on mankind. And I'm going to emphasize man. Um, the, the whole name of No Man's Land, I think, takes on this beautiful, uh, like, kind of like Eowyn in, in Lord of the Rings, uh, when she's like, I am no man. Uh, you know, she is able to surmount that uh, because man can't do it. Um, I think that says something, and I, I think that's really, truly important. And I loved it. I loved it for that. Uh, yeah, I was. I have talked to a couple people who were like they were worried that she was going to go around and say I am no man, and do that type of thing for the the no man's uh, land scene. And also another thing about the World War One scenario is that this this sounds kind of I don't want to downplay how horrible World War One was, but it kind of had this more of a moral ambiguity going on where uh, mm. you know with World War Two it's pretty black and white. And, you know, the Nazis were bad, the Allies were good. For World War One, it's a little more ambiguous. There was good and bad on both sides. And for Diana, she walked into this seeing everything in very black and white terms. And going into World War Two would have reinforced that when the whole point was that it's not black and white. There are moral gray areas on both sides. You know, World War Two would have just reinforced that while World War One forces her to see not only... The, light, the, the good in people, but also the bad, and accept that. And I, I've I've seen interviews with Patty Jenkins, who was she was hesitant to move the the origin story from World War Two to World War One. And but overall, I think it made a much better movie. Well, and and I think that it really goes to again the the theme and the substance, where Diana is kind of naively hoping. That, oh, well, I can just kill the god of war, and war is going to go away. By setting it in World War One, we as the audience know what a fool's quest that is. That even if she's able to defeat this god of war, mankind is still going to get back into it because of mankind. And it forces us to take an inward look at us and say, what is it about ourselves that makes us want to 
uh, want to compete so much, to create these weapons of war, to uh, want to kill one another over nothing, over inches of ground. And uh, yeah, that moral ambiguity uh, is, is so key to understanding this, that the issue wasn't the Germans or, or anyone. The issue is us, and it's and it's a moral crisis that we face. And this is the first one of definitely of the DC extended universe uh, that has really made me think. Um, but really, a lot more heady than even most of the Marvel movies. Uh, maybe outside of Winter Soldier and Civil War, uh, where there's actually you know some some moral issues to face. You guys took all my points. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, me too. Um, I will say the the one thing I loved is... So we actually couldn't go to the, the press screening on Tuesday, so I had to go see it with civilians last night. And we walked in, and it was a very typical movie theater. You had people all around you with cell phones. People were talking, being loud. I had little kids everywhere. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. You know, they're talking to the trailers, which it's trailers. I get that totally fine I would prefer you not but the movie hasn't started and uh, I was sitting there with Eddie and next to him was this little girl maybe six seven years old and she was bouncing all over the place playing with a drink talking to her mom um, the movie starts and the moment little print you know little girl Diana comes on screen I've never seen a child more enraptured with a movie than I have in that exact moment and she sat there this little girl with her jaw on the floor for two and a half hours and didn't make a peep now, if you know six- and seven-year-old children, that's nearly impossible. That doesn't happen. That's like a unicorn. Uh, <laughs> but I thought it was so cool that as much as as an adult, finally, you know, seeing this amazing film, seeing this very powerful, wonderful uh, female character, who is played magnificently by Gal Gadot. I think uh, our buddy Jimmy said, Gal Gadot is to Wonder Woman what RDJ is to uh, Tony Stark. Like, I couldn't ever imagine anyone else playing that character now, because she does <laughs> it so well. But as much fun as I was having and just how wrapped up I was, for me it was so cool to look over and just see this this tiny little girl just in love with everything happening on the screen. And, you know, we, we, we've talked before about why representation is important, but she got to see herself on in a movie, in a big movie. Not not just, you know, a kid's movie. This is like a big summer, everyone goes to see a movie. And that's that was just a really cool moment aside from just how fun the movie was. Yeah, I would I think that this is as important... That no man's land scene is as important as the moment in The Force Awakens when the lightsaber flies into Rey's hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you can be a Jedi too. You can be a hero too. This is your story. Everyone is the hero of their own story. And that is critically important. And um, one thing I really have to kind of give the movie credit for doing was uh, I, I'm usually kind of. 50-50 on Chris Pine, to be honest. I find mm -hmm. him sometimes kind of lacking in charisma. I, I often compare him to I say, you have as much charisma as your last name, as a block of wood sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But I actually really liked the way that they portrayed him in this. I've seen someone compare him to a less sad version of Cassian Andor from Rogue One. And that he's, he's kind of He's tormented, but he's still got this a lot of hope and that he he feels a lot of guilt for the stuff that he's had to commit in the name of war and 
he he's a great backup to her, but he never steals the spotlight from her. And they they play off each other so well. Their their relationship is so believable, despite the fact that they haven't known each other very long at all. And I love the moments where he just stares at her like she is like the second coming. And that's it was it's not you can see that that's not just. Steve Trevor looking at Diana, it's also Chris Pine looking at Gal Gadot and going, <laughs> oh my god, look at this woman, she's amazing, and I, it felt very sincere, and I also like her, uh, I've, I've seen them refer to her version as the Howling Commandos, and I've, I called them her Rogue One squad, uh, yeah. Samir and Charlie and um, Chief. With the three of them, they, they covered race issues, they covered PTSD and these like really brief scenes that are very very important. Yeah, those those were my favorite parts of the movie were those little quiet moments where Samir's like I didn't want to be a soldier, I wanted to be an actor, but my skin color and and my fate uh, and fate made made me into this. Uh, Keith is like I'm here because I don't have anything left to fight for. Uh, because uh, Trevor's people took everything from my people. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like making you really reflect on on war and uh, what we do and what we do to people and to history with this. Uh, I those were absolutely the. I, I mean, uh, the awesome ass kicking scenes were absolutely amazing, and I don't want to take away from them. But I really loved those quiet moments, and they were they were some of my favorites. Um, I I want to bring up something that I have that is kind of a little complaint. Uh, I think that there were portions of Diana's characterization that made her fall a little bit into the trope of a born sexy yesterday character. Uh, are are either of you familiar with with that trope, or um, I, I can go into it. A little bit. I, I've heard of it before, but uh, refresh my memory because I yeah, uh, same. Yeah, it, basically the idea is uh, you have a woman of great power, uh, or who is somehow exotic or magical, uh, who shows up and doesn't understand that she is sexy and attractive. And doesn't understand her her magic or powers or abilities in this world, and she kind of ends up glomming on to the nearest schlub that that happens to uh, that happens to discover her. And the only thing remarkable about him is that she likes him for some inexplicable reason. Um, so I think that this is able to actually get away from most of the tropes of that because I think that. Steve Trevor is actually a, a somewhat remarkable human being, um, and and there is reason for there to be some sort of uh, connection between the two of them. Um, but I didn't like the the kind the things when they were in London, and Diana is really shown to be out of her element and really naive and trying on dresses and oh I don't understand this world ha 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 it's so funny a goddess and and I kind of didn't like that treatment of her but luckily they got out of it fairly quickly and and so I I'm willing to forgive those moments of of comedy and lightheartedness um even though I felt like they were kind of tropey 
And, and see, that, that what's funny is I loved those scenes. <laughs> I, I love the fish out of water moments, and I can see why that you why you didn't like it. Um, but you know, going I mean, this is Wonder Woman, you know. But going back to to kind of my own moral compass of Captain America, it was kind of like you know in the first Avengers when they're making comments and Cap's like, oh, I get that reference. Like, you know, he's, they're learning things. And so I love those moments where it's like, what's going on or what's happening or like Back to the Future when we're in 2015 and don't know what's going on or why is Jaws 35 here in 3D? Um, and that could just be my own personal preference of what I like seeing in movies and books. Uh, but she was fun. And, and the person we kind of forgot about was um, uh, Lucy Davis playing Etta Candy, who is Steve Trevor's oh. secretary. She steals the movie every scene she's in because she's funny, she's witty. This part where uh, Wonder Woman's like, you know, what do you do? She's like, oh, I'm a secretary. She's like, what is that? And she says, well, I do what he says and this and that. And she's like, well, where I'm from, that that sounds like slavery. And immediately, Etta Candy's like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I just, she, she brought a lot of, and, and see, this is the one thing I, I did love about this film as well is that, uh, you know, I might be in the minority as far as one who liked Man of Steel and Bad Movie Superman. Yes, uh, you are. Despite their problems, I, I fully understand they have those. Uh, Suicide Squad can go burn in hell. Hmm. Uh, but the things that were missing from those movies that this movie got was we can have a serious tone and some gritty realness, but we got to have a moment to let the audience breathe and have a laugh. Um, I've always said, you know, I got out of Man of Steel... And I felt like the moment I walked out of the theater, like this weight had come off my shoulders. And I realized it was because I didn't smile once for two and a half hours. And you need that. You know, no matter, unless you're watching a documentary about World War One, you've got to have a moment of respite to take a breath and just kind of get back on track. And for me, those scenes in this movie is what did it. You know, we, we got to have some very serious moments. We got to see the horrors of war. But then we got a chance to have some fun and lighten up for a minute before we dove back into the real story. So I, I did enjoy that. I appreciated the fact that this movie didn't shy away from the fact that war is horrible in a really profound way that I appreciated. Because, I mean, let's face it, this was a PG-13. They were never going to be able to really get into the nitty-gritty of what you know war is actually like. But they also didn't shy away from it and... I think they... I've had a couple people ask me this about whether or not it's violent, too violent for kids and stuff like that. And I've, I, my opinion is it approaches war in a way that I think kind of Zootopia approached race relations in that it's going to definitely have an impact on kids, but it's also going to make them ask questions. Might be questions parents might not want to ask the, the, to answer yet. Because they don't, maybe don't they don't want their five year old learning about World War One. But you know, it's it's enough there. They they walked a really careful line of not diminishing how horrible World War One was, but not making it inaccessible to younger audiences. Yeah, like you said, this I mean this is PG thirteen for uh, for violence. I, very little language that I could even remember hearing. Uh, <clears throat> they obviously didn't drop an f bomb or anything because that wasn't this type of movie. Uh, but yeah, everything that is really kind of over the top or horrible happens off screen. You might hear it, like a gunshot or someone screaming, uh, but you're not going to see it. And there's there's actually one scene where uh, they they could have. We, we know the effects of a certain weapon would have on someone, and they show someone who was hit by it, but they do it in the right way where you don't see the devastation or damage that happened, but you still get the the uh, you still understand the fact that this person obviously isn't isn't with us anymore, but. No, it's uh, 
like you said, this is a great movie to kind of again introduce a younger audience to to World War One and history and the horrors of kind of what happened. Uh, but also, it's 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 a really good movie, and again, it's a it's a great thing to see a film that has you know again this is the first female superhero movie directed by a woman, and even though you can still see Zack Snyder's thumbprints in certain places that go in directions I don't exactly like or agree with, it's still done really well. And actually, Michael Bay should go watch this movie about ten times uh, to learn the proper ways to use slow motion because uh, mm. he. Probably, actually, I'm assuming that's why Transformers 26 is three and a half hours long. Is because I think half of it's going to be in slow motion. <laughs> so, Karan, uh, help us all. <laughs> no, I wish that uh, I had felt like this was more of Patty Jenkins' movie because I I felt like she adopted a lot of that kind of fast, slow, fast Zack Snyder thing that he's done in in everything else. I shouldn't complain too much because really she did a spectacular job and it just those little bits reminded me that like oh yeah Zack Snyder's involved in this and it took me out of it for just one second but otherwise she is a fantastic director and uh, this is one of the best directed of any of the superhero movies Uh, reminds me a lot of the work that uh, that Joe Johnston did on Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, and uh, and what Richard Donner did in the first two Superman movies. Uh, there was that that lightness and and hope, uh, even in dire circumstances, uh, that I think she really brought to the screen, and I think she really nailed the uh, the source material and the tone of what the character should be, which is certainly not what. Zack Snyder has done in any of the previous titles. Cool. Well, I think we've, we've kind of dug in pretty deep. Uh, any last thoughts, Caitlin or Andy? I guess where would we go on a rating with this? I, I am at an 8.5 out of 10. I don't think it was perfect. I think it was amazing. And I think that DC needs to keep going and make more movies like this. Uh, if this is their Captain America, the first Avenger, which is what this really reminds me of, then I can't wait to see uh, their Winter Soldier, their Civil War, and their Avengers. So um, bring on Justice League. Uh, I gave it 8.5 out of 10 as well. Um, I hope they stick the landing. (laughs) I'm I'm still very concerned for Justice League, but uh, this is definitely a positive direction, and this should be your, uh, your foundation, DC. I mean... I think Diana should be their Tony Stark, their their character that shows up in all of the movies, because I think it's pretty obvious that she is the one that audience have audiences have latched onto and take advantage of that. I mean, yeah, definitely. This is this is doing well. Uh, you know, if we're looking at just box office numbers, it's already made back over half its budget in one day worldwide. <laughs> so people are definitely liking this and. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'm actually right with you guys. It's really rare that all three of us are unanimous. But I'm an 8.5 as well. Uh, I would. I would have loved to have gone higher. There were just some little minor things that we, we talked about that I had some issues with. But no, this is this is proof that you can do a female-led superhero movie, and it's going to do well. People are going to go to it. And like Caitlin said, yeah, let's have her show up and let's have her have a cameo in like every single movie. And the one thing I'm also really excited about is this is the the first DCEU movie um, kind of under the helm of Jeff Johns, who's kind of like the Kevin Feige of uh, 
of DC. He kind of took over to kind of have one unifying theme and uh, tone throughout these movies coming up. You know, he, he this is the first one he's done. He also was involved with like, Justice League and the rest going forward. So I'm hoping that they can kind of turn things around and that this is the start of what will hopefully be a great series of DC films. Fingers crossed. Stick the landing. I believe you and you, DC. You can do it. (laughs) I believe in you, too. Please, please, please. please. All right, everyone. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, Captain Underpants was okay. Uh, Take your kids to see it. But honestly, if if your kids are old enough, they'll they'll sit through a movie. Go see Wonder Woman. It's a ton of fun. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff going there. And hopefully will be the beginning of lots of great stuff to come. Uh, Speaking of stuff to come, next week uh, we've got The Mummy, which is... Is it part of the Mummy universe with Brendan Fraser? I, it, it seems like it is. No, no, it's not. <clears throat> oh. No, this is Universal's attempt to reboot their Universal Monster Movie. It's called okay, the Dark just... Universe. I just yeah. swear, I, I saw the trailer and I remember in the very first Mummy movie with Brendan Fraser, they have the the, the female Anox in the Moon, and there's the part where like the, the, the uh, priest grabs her and like smudges like the ink on her shoulder. And that's why he becomes the mummy. I swear to God, I saw that in the trailer that someone did that to her. So maybe, maybe I was seeing things. But uh, yeah, it's Tom Cruise, uh, immortal mummy stuff. <laughs> and I will also be going to see a new horror film. It comes at night, which I'm very excited about. Which they showed us last week, and I was working, so I unfortunately didn't get to see it. But I, I have some friends who have strong thoughts about that. So. Um, I'm hoping to see it before we meet up next week. But until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass fly.